as the guy who arranged this piece of music, I just want to put out there that it feels like it is just random notes some places. Mm. Okay. Hey everybody, welcome back to another all-new X's for Show, your premier media response coverage show. You can check us out at X's for Show. I'm Nico. You can check me out at Nico Action. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. And my tops, my top Trek thing is uh, this amazing modern era we're living in where we're revisiting the past. And my least favorite Trek thing is the previous era where we visited the past a bunch. I'm looking at you, Enterprise. <laughs> oh no. Uh, and I'm TK. You can find me at X Nate X Gray X. My favorite Trek thing is the feeling that the future will always be bright, and there's always things to look forward to, and there's always things to explore and new things to learn. And my least favorite thing about Trek is the better it gets, the more difficult it is to watch the old stuff and all of the things that we as a people just couldn't think about the future. Uh, cutting edge technology. Yeah. Yeah. So, so much to talk about when we talk about this episode, but watching strange new worlds, man, you really think about what was going on in the original series and just how nobody could predict the future. Uh, and that makes me your production commander, Kevo. You can find me at Kevo Really. That's K-E-V-O-R-E-A-L-L-Y. And uh, the thing I think I'm loving the most about Star Trek right now is how much of Star Trek is a celebration of itself and its own continuity and history and rich, vibrant mythology and so many things from Strange New Worlds, like we're going to talk about the premiere today, to Lower Decks, which we'll also be talking about. So many of these things just love examining and pulling from all of the rich mythos that exists. Uh, my least favorite thing about Trek is when they make Klingons talk and there's no subtitles. Yes. Yeah, there's that whole era where it was just Klingons talking in Klingon with the subtitles, too. And, like, I'm not here to read. We have universal translators. Ah, but it's okay. Beautiful language. So we are here to kick things off for this new amazing season of Strange New Worlds. I am so excited to talk about with these guys. We're going to be taking a look at Strange New Worlds premiere, a little bit on its history, a little bit about where it's been. We're going to be looking at Lower Decks. And more, uh, especially because Lower Decks and Strange New Worlds are going to have a brave new crossover. And I couldn't be more excited uh, than to see those amazing animated faces in live action smushed up against Ethan Peck's giant Ethan Peck's. We should all be so lucky. Right. So uh, I just kind of want to start things off with a little bit of who we are as Trekkies. You know, if you're tuning into this, you probably know what the show is. And if you don't, uh, it's a response show with us now you know so to give you a better sense of who we are let's start things off with some pretty classic trek questions uh number one favorite captain i'm gonna be that guy i'm a i'm a pike man now i was a picard man until very recently and now i'm just adding that ard to the end of the pick i will always be the ultimate mama's boy it's all janeway for me Oh, I really respect that. Um, I've really become a Michael Burnham guy. I love her attitude and I love her 
positivity. It's all about hope with Michael Burnham. And I really, really, really love that. All right. I love these answers. Let's keep it rolling. Show for me. It's going to be kind of a shocking answer of Lower Decks, I think. Uh, because I get a little bit of everything from every show in Lower Decks. And uh, I would miss something from every show if not for Lower Decks. And I can't say that about any other series. Right? So, uh, TK, uh, top Trek show. What's your Trek track? I really do want to say Lower Decks. But I'm going to say something different just because I think you nailed what there is to love about Lower Decks. So, for me, it's Voyager. Uh, that's the one that I really came to love star trek with I, I went back and watched all of next generation and loved it so much but voyager was my like watch this and you'll get it show yeah. and i have my favorite captain that's true Kevin. you know i was also going to stay lower decks for all of those reasons and you know we, we don't want to seem too sycophantic of a really wonderful show so I think I will then instead give a shout out to another beloved now classic Trek, uh, TNG sort of being a bridge between the original series era and being a template for the direction of where this modern Star Trek era has gone. Uh, because it's not the same. It is a radical evolution, but it is an evolution based on what there was because of that. And I love that. I love these answers, and let's just keep on a moving with uh, what's your ship? And I'm gonna say it's it's a tough one, but for ship, I'm gonna say it's a it's a tie between uh, the tacky fascist Cardassian eyesore, and uh, I love that Deep Space Nine uh, that whole look, and uh, oh, totally. Ooh, I really, really like the film uh, bridge from the, the tacky movies, the bad movies, um, the Enterprise bridge from the J.J. The Abrams movies. It's really beautiful. Oh, really, the J. Abrams. It's really polished. It has like a lot of really nice touches from all over the franchise. It's really good. It's a little too bright for me, but I love the design in general. I get I, get, I really get that. All right, TK, ship me. I'm gonna the punch Enterprise you. E. Oh, okay. Rest in peace, baby girl. Um, <laughs> I think I'm gonna say the Voyager again. <laughs> honestly, like it's high up there. Uh, <laughs> Fair, but uh, Enterprise E is the promise of that future that Kevo you were talking about, kind of with the bridging of the shows, because it really was like this is gonna. This is forever. This is not just the show. And we're not just going to let it be the show. We're going to, the Enterprise is a spirit. And we can promise you that that spirit will live. Oh, she's crashed. We got, <laughs> we got a new one. It's okay. Don't worry about it. Sometimes um, when the Enterprise separates softer well, from body, it's like watching Kramer versus Kramer. And we still don't know what happened to the E, though, do we? The D is the one that crashed in Generations. E is the one that we got for uh, Contact. And, right. and so, like... I, I really, to bring it back to our beloved Lower Decks again, I would love to find out what happened to it at least yeah. and see some more of it maybe through that format because, yeah, like, ah, oh, it, it really was such a beautiful ship yeah. and there was so much potential. And yeah. well, uh, Kevin, what's your ship? Um, I really love the disco. I yeah, loved it. Beautiful. It spins. Mm. I love 
both the original and the future upgrades with the detached nacelles, which is just mind-blowing. And the fact that you can have those two different generations in essentially the same ship, despite the retrofit, is just a really cool thing. So I love her. I love the modern nacelles. I love the classic Nichelle Nichols, whatever you can get. I love it. Um, I also just want to say, I arranged this piece of music. I've been working on it a day day or two, and I got it done this morning. And uh, I really hope that I captured that uh, Charlie Brown Christmas vibe. Oh, yeah. I think that is the perfect uh, descriptor. Oh, okay. Well, speaking of uh, wacky mashups, one of the things that I love the most about Star Trek is the incredible alien species mm. mm-hmm. that we see on the Star Trek uh, franchise. And if I'm going to give it up to one more than any, now, everybody knows that if I'm attracted to anything on Earth, it's Bajoran boys. Mm. Uh, I am weak to resist uh, a religious zealot ready to fight at all costs. Um, <clears throat> they do have the size surges. You love right. a spicy boy with principles. You do. I do. I do. I do. I do. Uh, they, they're they the stand-in for the chosen people. I would love to try a Bajoran bagel. You know what I mean? Um, but if I'm going to give it to a real species here, uh, like, you know, like my real choice, not like there's anything wrong with Bajorans. I just said how much I love them. I love you guys and your noses. Um, Q's. The Q continuum. Ooh, uh, yeah. I just don't know that there's been a species. Like, I mean, they take so much of the stuff from Star Wars and say, hey, we're different franchises, but we can meet you at the crazy. <laughs> uh, if I were going to pick one of those, it would be the giant face uh, that the Enterprise just is in the middle of space and the face just shows up and is like, what are you doing in my living room? Uh, but since that's nonsense and will never be referenced again, Picard, why? <laughs> Why'd you do three Borg storylines and not a single face in the middle of space storylines, Picard? Uh, it's going to be the uh, meat equivalent of that, which is Species 8472. Truly did love Species 8472. I thought that was just the coolest thing. Um, you know, I thought once Star Trek really established that like everybody is just in space doing space stuff space stuff became kind of not special and like you would have like the crystalline entity but that was too advanced like too insane for anybody to touch and there was that time they met crystal waters in space and she just told them about a gypsy woman i mean they needed to know um but that there was a species for whom intergalactivity was biological and moist and liquidy and that they had all these insane biological things. And then they were like the ultimate enemy that could maybe also be an ally was just really cool. Again, Picard, three Borg storylines and not a single species 8472 storyline. Borg. I am really excited for you to continue your disco journey and catch up because I feel like there's a lot of stuff in disco season four that is going to touch on some of the stuff that you're looking for from uh, Mm. the 8472. So uh, that's exciting. And yeah, I really love stuff like that too. I love um, expanding the uh, parameters of what we uh, would normally bring into a science fiction franchise. And uh, I'm also pretty pissed about Picard stifling the potential of an alien species that we thought was going to be more important 
and my alien choice for that reason is the changelings mm -hmm. uh you know there was a little bit of touch on the changelings and the dominion war and uh the fallout of it but really for as much as they ramped up the potential of the changelings being the big bad they were it just, just so was slippery. dropped it was dropped so quickly you're so funny and so like i want more we saw so much just within the limited capabilities of the 90s on ds9 mm -hmm. and uh, there's so much more you can do with cg uh on the cheap so i'd really love to see the potential of those characters be expanded i also thought it was pretty bonkers to put the two species that are one entity that weird yeah. has their own way of separating and then one is just the mercenary for the other one like they're not i my like dream star trek fan fiction story is a, was about the borg and the dominion like meeting and literally physical contact between the two just like basically created the annihilation wave like there's no way those two biologies and and technologies could meet and not have yeah. an insane thing happen but i would have even set that aside for a story in which they were like can you believe how weird it is to be one with your entire species and then to be separated like that would have been just them talking about that in some capacity would have been really beautiful so yeah huge disappointment that we went in that direction even though it was still a really great story and Vedic was an incredible villain Vodic? I'm forgetting her name. Evil Nepo Star Trek, it doesn't uh, matter. Um Rose from So I Married an Axe Murderer was an incredible Harriet. Sweet Harriet. Harriet. Uh incredible villain. Um truly the uh Lysa Aaron of space, and I just uh literally. Yeah. Truly, I loved her a ton, uh, but there's just so much unused potential in those stories. And now we're going to wrap up this super cool introduction with what's your favorite Star Trek movie? And I'm going to do the thing. I'm going to Angela Bassett all over this. Uh, my favorite Star Trek movie, unapologetically, unabashedly, Galaxy Quest. And here's why. <laughs> You're such a dick. <laughs> No one wants your answer. I uh, love Corny Weaver. No. I almost, yeah. if I hadn't done a, a very, very basic, I mean, barely even trying. It's a red shirt. I have a, a badge thing on. Oh, I need my badge. I, I have a, a phaser. If I hadn't gone this basic uh, Starfleet look, I probably would have gone with Ripley. And uh, no, I just really uh, enjoy galaxy quest and it's a loving loving send up yeah i agree with that um it's first contact duh i also have to give first contact but like specifically as a former complete non-trekkie where first contact was like the first star trek thing i ever saw and I really did love it, but it was one of those things where it was on HBO, uh, and it was the late 90s, and so I just was at the mercy of what HBO showed me. We didn't have quite as accessible home video that I could just fall into, and so it was just always a movie that I loved, and Star Trek was always this thing that I loved in the background that I... I guess kind of just thought I'd get to someday and uh, someday is now. And 
Uh, yeah. So definitely. Star date is now. Star date uh, today. 2023.06.17 and uh here we are so all right here we are dear old friend so let's do this thing right uh we are here to talk about and celebrate the premiere of strange new worlds strange in those worlds all new all again i Let want me, uh to... oh. aim us aboard the bridge oh bridge us love it <laughs> Now, uh, you know, one of the things that's so fun about Strange New Worlds is, just as we talked about in our opening questions, uh, you know, with things like Captain, this is a show that actually, like, really relies on its Captain as a central point. Mm -hmm. In a really interesting way, Disco went out of its way to not be Captain-centric at first, so that this is sort of like an accidental spinoff. One of the things that I love the most about this show is that originally this was never going to exist. Fans just loved Pike and Ethan Peck Spock and uh, Rebecca Romaine's number one. And it wound up being something that fans called for. And we wound up with Strange New Worlds, which has been, for my money, a real celebration of fandom and kind of the magic of Star Trek. So, you know, I know that I was so turned off by initial disco that I needed a little time to come back to it. But uh, TK, I think you might have even you might have gotten further and then needed longer. <laughs> I I jumped right onto Disco and I did feel that it was totally it. Um, I felt like if we have to do a new era where Star Trek kind of has to completely rethink how it's going to be a serial and episodic show where it's going to be produced and where it's going to like be online. Is it going to stream or is it going to be on TV? I really thought they <laughs> this is so good. <laughs> uh i what really are you enjoying is your they, toy oh continue they were very much boldly going when it came to uh how to stream like i was just very impressed and then um i felt like not even to disco's lack of credit uh the execs and the higher ups um uh, really didn't have a vision for what was going to be happening with the Star Trek universe. I still sort of feel like they don't. Um, and it's, I've become a lot more okay with it, but like I am here for what is happening in the present as it has been established by the Star Trek universe. So now it would be after what has happened on Picard uh, before Picard. It was what happened after the last Star Trek movie. What right. happened after Voyager came home? What happened with Species 8472? I wanted answers to those questions. And I was totally cool with Disco not giving me that at first. But then it seemed like they just weren't going to be doing that at all. And then we had Picard and I felt like the ship was righted. And then I got kind of in this in-between zone where uh, I was just still waiting for that like the new generation or what's now I think going to be legacy. And before I watched all this other stuff, I wanted to watch that. 
and eventually I gave up because this other stuff really is so good uh, that I wanted to kind of catch up on all of it. Now, Kevo, you had spent many years uh, trekking from a distance, you know, um, and you only really stepped into your fandom as a is like a trekhead, uh, you know, as we are so well known in the in the Stark community. Um, mm. <clears throat> but you know, talk to me about what it's like being a new fan in this like streaming era. It's very different than like catching Star Trek on WPIX Saturdays and Sundays. And the availability is sort of exponential in that regard. Yeah. um, And and that makes it very interesting. I feel like that also is one of the things that makes the tone of the current fandom, especially this fandom, so at times frustrating, where I will look at the number of episodes of tng of voy of ds9 and they're all available through the same streaming service as all of this stuff it's like almost 200 episodes of each of those shows so like that's part of where when i see people being extra salty about anything from the current era i'm like but go back and watch that because exactly what you're saying i i think a lot of that stuff is great still we i started showing jonah uh tng a little bit and he genuinely was blown away by some of the stories that they did you know uh the graphics are what they are for 1987 but a lot of the stories really do hold up and for me i really feel like so much of what star trek is is more about this core ideal that Starfleet and the Federation are supposed to be, which is even in-universe very frequently, that you're supposed to hold yourself to this ideal. And I feel like as long as whatever the project is tries to mostly stick true to that, you know, you're going to have your ridiculous things like Lower Decks being cartoonish or Discovery is kind of a soap opera. And I know that soap opera thing is not for everyone. That is for sure. The same way that I'm sure the uber religious parallels of ds9 weren't first to everyone either but that's the thing about trek where i love that there's all these different flavors and different things for different people i'm really looking forward to uh section 31 with michelle yo that's probably going to have a lot of winter soldier vibes i imagine guess what i'm from your terran mirror verse oh by the way so, so i sassy and i love it i love it so uh I think one of the things that is so terrific about Disco is that season one for me is maybe a little too Game of Space Thrones and maybe not my favorite. But season two kind of retools pretty quickly, adds Pike, really offsets the Lorca situation. And Pike winds up so popular that we get Disco. And one that from Disco, we get Strange New Worlds. And, you know, whether it's like right there in that shot, it's Ortegas or it's Uhura or it's any of this blending it's of that lady. And, it's that lady. I think her name it's, is Mitchell. It's this amazing blending and like refocusing of what Star Trek is that like for me, it really works. I think that what Strange New Worlds gets right is now, admittedly, I'm about to make a comparison, you know, nearly 30 years off. So it's just an unfair comparison. But 
this is what I think episode one got wrong. Episode one, The Phantom Menace, was so eager to tie into the things you never really knew about the past just before the big thing that set it all off, that everybody was so concerned with what came later, that going into the past is kind of a time buy. You know, I know Discovery was like, oh, this cool idea, but it was kind of a, a time buy. It was in the past, and they wrap it all up with nobody ever knew anything about it that could talk about it. You know, that kind of hand-waving nonsense. So the thing that this show gives me is a reverence for nostalgia and also an awareness that some of it's terrible. Mm. Just terrible. Just like sometimes this show is really critical of TOS and good because it's like 60 years old. And that's not to say that it's not wonderful, but we're critical of Shakespeare. Aren't we? We're critical of Gatsby, aren't we? We're critical of these things that we consider literary classics. I think we can be critical of the thing that Desi Arnaz was forced to produce by Lucille Ball so that he couldn't go on the road and cheat on her more. Yeah. It's just tough because it spawned so much fandom and so many other great shows and so many other great ideas. I mean, if we're being really honest, the start of the next generation had, you know, a ton of its own problems. Deanna oh, Troy. Sure. I mean, Voyager with Jerry Ryan. Like, the, the, the problems go on and are reflective of what's going on in society. And I do love that partially what shows like Discovery and uh, Strange New Worlds do is a sort of soft retcon that's like, no, everything was actually as it should have been in the future like things were much more gender equal that was just a weird year or like you just missed they they, they just you didn't happen to see that, that there, were black people available. there was a reason that yeah. they were being misogynistic to that right. one woman because she did this thing so don't worry and there are times where, and that, that's kind of what I was saying is the thing I love and hate about Star Trek is like, there are times where I just live for it and I live seeing the aesthetics modernized in a way that like our ability to conceive of something that would be futuristic is not just informed by where we are today. It's also like, as we gain knowledge and expand and allow more cultural input from other voices, what is futuristic isn't just reflective of our present that is the future from, you know, the past where this started. It is more inclusive and it feels more uh, expansive. And I do love that about it. But I also really do love that they are willing to game their own system a little bit uh, because honoring that fan need to be like, nothing can ever change. Things must always be as I loved them. Even if that means they are racist and sexist and kind of stupid. Um, we don't need that type of fandom. And I think we always are scared that it's going to be everybody, but we need to know that it's really nobody. And if we upset those people, the franchise always survives without them. They, they always end up watching it. So, you know. And, I think part of the struggle kind of becomes even when Star Trek got things wrong, it was revolutionary. Yeah. 
And mm-hmm. so the revolutionary wrong, it's one of those things that like I try to explain to people that like if you wind up getting caught in a in like um uh a social taboo like uh you know oh we've changed how we look at that style of humor and here's all these recordings of you being part of that wave of humor when it came out you know and now we are talking about how that's wrong you need to apologize there's of course going to be that hit the minute it happens but if you're on it you apologize you put in the work you can always be okay and that's i think something star trek always did it was revolutionary with its casting it was revolutionary with its characters with its storylines and when over time stuff aged poorly the franchise has taken responsibility for it now i certainly won't say that the franchise should start giving out awards for recognition of excellence in female treatment called the tasha yar awards or anything but i do think that the franchise has begun to poke enough fun at itself that we can maybe say that it's a uh, some good old-fashioned denise crosby tap dancing when you can hear the show making fun of itself for those sorts of moments and my celebration is that star trek strange new worlds is through its storylines atoning and it doesn't need the funny asides as much chapel is just realized umbanga is just realized and it's through that realization that we're able to avoid what i think a lot of people find as unattractive woke politics but i probably find just a necessary conversation um but that I get both sides of it, I think is legendary. And I think it's one of the reasons that we're here to talk about season two of this incredible show. What I will say is when this goes off into a territory that I'm more dubious of, uh, I don't know that they are going to let themselves get to the end of the show without rewriting Pike's, uh, inevitable future i just keep I thinking he's gonna meet a clone assume he still has to die but the he's like they're gonna put the golem there's gonna be a golem and the golem is i i and that's where i'm just like because you love your fans and you know your fans love your shows and you don't want to disappoint them for me the kind of ultimate vision of that and again i love it but i also have a problem with it is the spore drive which I think is so cool, but like the fact that we've never heard of it, but then it has to be a central part of disco. And just in that same vein, <sighs> I love it so I, much. I love it so much. I love the Tardigrade. I love everything about it. But the fact but they that they had like, to work so hard to on paper make it be realistic that because it only existed for like three, two, three years at that time, and because and David Cronenberg is obsessed with it. Yeah. And because it uh, disappeared very quickly, and so there wasn't a lot of information, and every other attempt exploded. Like they had to work because I'm 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 almost done with my disco rewatch, and in season <laughs> one, yeah, they spend a lot of time being like, and this is how this can exist, and right. no one else had it, and then in the end, this is why you never see it or hear about it again. And there's a lot of stuff like that. And I really agree in a lot of ways on the Pike thing where I don't know what to expect. And I'm pretty, I'm not like anxious. I'm deeply curious because I think it could go in a few different directions where it either could, like you're saying, uh, be a cop out and we find some way that Pike uh, survives but something I also keep pointing to is that Pike doesn't really technically die. He is 
horrifically um, disfigured by like a uh, radiation arc. accident. Yeah. Uh, but then he goes off to live with his psychic girlfriend, who, by the way, we've already met yeah. in this current era of Star Trek anyway, played by the fantastic Melissa George, who you I hope you don't cast an actor like Melissa George as a character that important without the intent of us seeing her again. I do have to say, it is bonkers that she currently looks younger than she did on Alias. Well, I can't. I, Some people. I actually feel that way about, um, and I know what I'm going to say. And I, number, I, one. Know, number one. Number is, one. What yeah. the fuck? She legitimately looks younger than when she was on Just Shoot Me. And it's she doesn't, like, and I mean this with love, she looks like an older woman. She just looks yeah. young. Yeah. And, like, that's really cool. Uh, Anson Mount looks like I mean, like Anson Mount's mm. biceps are like two of the biggest things in space, and uh, he has a look of age to him that actually really reflects the way that Patrick Stewart was older, but not like old. Yeah. So, all in all, you know, Kevin, do you have a slide that uh, compares this cast with the original characters cast, yes. original actors cast in those characters' roles? Um, you know. It's just, it's got to be said that these people are stepping into some unbelievable shoes, some incredibly famous people. I mean, you've got five unbelievable actors up there. That is right. You only have five actors up there because the middle women are the same woman. Listen. They're Gene Roddenberry. I know. A wig will change everything. And and still would go on to give birth to Deanna Troy. So I was gonna uh, say she's, you know, she's not done. She's also be, whatever lady was the voice model for the computer. The voice of every ship for a century or so. Yeah. Crazy. Love her. Busy, busy Barrett. Um I also uh just wanna say for the record, uh the more rotten the berry, the spacer the juice. And um H-O- no, you you don't want to say that actually. <laughs> Believe me. <laughs> oh my god, our YouTube account's been suspended. <laughs> um so the the real thing I just want to say, like, you know, Pike actually clearly needs to be handsome. I'm not being funny. Pike should be handsome. Number one should be beautiful. That Spock is incredibly handsome, is great but that's not what spock needs and he does give what spock needs um you know the the actor playing umbanga whose name i will unfortunately ruin if i tried to say is uh so out of this yeah babs is so out of this world uh incredibly talented uh chapel is rewriting the role I would hate to try and be the woman cast as Uhura, except now both women they have cast as Uhura are both like powerhouses. I think that's such a great example of a role where people want you to succeed. It would suck to not be good and like, you know, to be a Nepo baby or, you know, to, to have Zoe Saldana (laughs) to have in some way not earned the role, but be in it. Because I, mean, I think Zoe did, by the way. That was not what I was trying no, to say. No, I know. No, no, no. Yeah. I know. I, I absolutely. Um, but especially like especially in season two, 
um you know i think all anybody wanted was for a great actor to do this particular role especially justice because this is the one of the better examples of like star trek was ahead of its time but was so we were still such a back still are such a backward society that we were nowhere near what the character and the actor deserve so like they picked the right person she did has been doing such a phenomenal job. And I think it is a sustaining feedback loop of love for the character and love seeing the character that just makes it get better and better. I was not enamored. I was not enamored with, with the writing on her in yes. season one in terms of her lost storyline, um, especially with the way it developed and hammer and everything felt a little too choreographed. I I loved her characterization though and her performance. And immediately, uh, having just rewatched the premiere, I, I I already love the things they're doing with her uh, and and the ways they're developing her character and making her such a stronger person. When the person when one of the uh, people who's examining the ship tries to go up to her station and she's like, "No, this is my job." This is yes. like the flagship of the fleet, and you're not going to tell me that my comm monitoring is not important. And everyone is sort of like all of her crewmates are impressed by how far she's come because she has. And uh, her and Ethan Peck, more than anyone else, I'm really excited just to see what they could develop for those characters over the next several years and the things you can do with those original series characters and giving them such more fleshed out stories. I'm also excited for Kirk, but we don't really know Paul Wesley's Kirk as well yet. I know we're going to be getting more of him in season two. So I hope to be more excited and all three of them uh, be really uh, jazzed on, but we'll see. We'll see. I would also just love it. If something, I guess not everyone would love it, but if something happened where these characters slipped into their own parallel universe, they don't realize it. Mm. They never know they've slipped out of focus with our timeline. So Pike keeps waiting for that day. And, you know, but we get to see new adventures where these characters do not fall into those roles just to see some of these actors get to play out some stakes that are really a little bit more significant. I do think the nature of prequels is that you, you do know that like Spock ultimately survives because they're never going to say that Spock was replaced by a Spock bot. You know that, you know, Kirk ultimately comes to have the Enterprise and we never heard about the Enterprise one half, which is the slightly smaller scale Enterprise that zips around with the only other spore drive. Like, you know, that's not what's going to happen unless they do something like that. So there's ways in which I do hope that they manage to break free a little bit, but I think they're already doing that. This season premiere did some really bold things by not having Pike and number one be the star of the show. I think it's a season one. I'm sorry. I think it's a season premiere move to make Pike and number one, the focus even of an episode that splits the cast. And then mm. what was everybody else doing is episode number two. But they said that is not the necessary situation here because this cast is so strong. No matter who you put, where everybody is going to be, top notch and so i did long for pike and number one but uh it was great seeing the cast fill in the blanks 
I will say as somebody who is kind of working my way around this show in my own way, uh, there is a very smart mirroring effect that happens with the show premiere and the season two premiere where number one is in peril. We're going to go get her, but the yeah. expectation is subverted when that is then not actually the mission of the cast in season two, that that becomes something else that we're maybe going to see Pike do, or maybe we won't. I, we don't know how that's going to turn out. Um, but it's a very interesting uh, play on episodic TV. And it's one of the great mm -hmm. things about this show overall is that it, it does sort of play on the episodic roots of Star Trek and the fact that there was virtually no serial carryover on the show for far too long um, by kind of repeating themes while having these really fascinating maintained serial plots uh and yeah just a really strong start to the and, season and to build on that now that you're saying that there's other things to it too and i feel like you know even like i was saying the uhura is an instant now and so she's yep. taking her next step yep. uh the focus on la'an there was so much focus on her in the yep. series premiere and yep. uh her agency in action and so getting so much of her uh was really cool do you want to say the g word nico do you want to do it i just think it's remarkable that we have a television show where a descendant of khan is going after the gone and um yeah it's like playing theater rhythm you have to cross your eyes in certain directions to get the hit i actually wasn't even thinking about the con thing but when you said that that's why i included these images on my uh as what did i say i'm calling it again my my fandom tween girl picture board that i'm okay. gonna start making for our stuff your but, twink uh, girl these, squad yes my my twink girl squad but uh these promo shots in specific of uh uh noonian sung and uh and uh fuck at kirk like this is okay, not but this looks like a scene from guan's uh, crossing here this doesn't look like well, yeah. a scene from star trek but that's but also like... that is a feature of strange new worlds which uh, we can get into a little bit later because i don't want to totally derail the thing but um you know kevo asked me a while ago if uh discovery was the gray's anatomy of the star trek universe to which i said yeah i think it probably is and i hadn't really watched this show at that point and once I had, I uh, went back to him and said that, no, it is in fact this show. This show is 100% the like the drama sometimes and like the the sexiness on board a ship that really ought not to have time for sexiness is uh, at times very silly and often very much reflected in the promo materials and the trailers a little bit more than it actually is in the show. I see in here it's it's I think it's that I feel disco is more Grey's Anatomy because it is all whispering and crying. Whereas I feel like, yeah, there is the drama to this and there is the emotion and the sexiness, but there's also the slapstick and the surrealness, which is why I think I would actually call this more of like a Boston legal to wrap it around to a Bill Shatner reference. Uh, because, you know, 
yeah, I absolutely see where the emotion stuff is. But then you also have, like, I don't know that I ever really saw Grey's Anatomy going so far into the ridiculous as the fairy tale episode of Strange New Worlds or, um, you know, just several of the other. There's just some really out there silly slap body swapping. Body swapping is a little bit wackier than it is, uh, I feel, weepy as as I feel the Grey's Anatomy nom, uh, nom de plume could become. And this is where I'm showing that I have watched entirely too much of the show because, you know, after 25 seasons, it actually has gone to all of those places. I better say, um, I thought the, the season 19... It's not a cartoon um, yet. The, the season 19 event was the unicorn tornado, wasn't it? Right, exactly. Ugh. Like... And, and, you know, the, the, it has the sl unintentional slapstick of absurdity where you're like, they can't have just had an earthquake in the middle of the plane crash after first contact. And that's Grey's Anatomy. Uh, but I like generally what we're getting at is this idea that like primetime soap tropes are still alive and well and can't really be shooketh off wherever you go. This photo, I mean, come on, I'm living for it, but it is, uh, yeah, it's a set photo for me. Well, because this is sassy, this is business. Okay, speaking of sassy and business, we're gonna weigh in on this premiere and we're gonna move to the next thing because, yeah, we're gonna talk about this stuff a million more times and we love talking about it so much, right? It's yeah. You know, we're supposed to actually cover TV shows on the Sunday TV broadcast, but this this just took such an important part of our of our summer. So, uh, okay, the premiere. Uh, you know, my big my my two uh, bigs. For hold on, oh. first off, should we put up Kevo? Oh gosh! Oh yeah! Uh, uh, important breaking warning, ladies and gentlemen. Mm -hmm. We have a red alert. Uh, just to be clear, perhaps we should have done it sooner. <laughs> I don't, we haven't just said anything so far, but we are now moving into, like, legit spoiler territory. So, certainly, uh, spoiler alert uh, for anyone who doesn't want to know uh, the full, any, any amount of full details or uh, potential spoilers for future of Strange New Worlds. Thank you for the reminder. So, plot of the episode, now that you are spoil-warned by the co-working team of our amazing unit. Can't believe I managed to get that out, no matter how hard I tried to stammer it. Um, <clears throat> uh, the plot is Pike goes off to see what he can do to get a lawyer to defend number one, who I hope is Spock's fiance. I love her so much. Meanwhile, Spock uh, and a team of Enterprisers... Uh, steal the Enterprise along with Carol Kane, um, possibly just playing Carol Kane. Uh, they steal the Enterprise and they stymie a Klingon false flag Enterprise operation with the help of one Miss Catherine Khan. Wait, no, that can't be right. Um, Nuni and Sung. Wait, that can't be it. Nuni and Khan. <sighs> Right. Anyway, her yeah. and Nooner, so, Nooner, and uh, all together, it is what honestly to me, and I think part of where I'm being a little aggressive about the plot of the episode is because while I thought it was a great episode, I give it a B plus, and I give the average episode of the show like an A minus. 
my yeah. biggest complaint about this episode and this my my big takeaway number one it was so great to see the cast be wonderful without pike who is my actual top star trek character like number two actually number one is kira norris and that will never change but um you know, he's my number two of all time. Seeing an episode be so great without him just proves why he can be so great and it not take away from the show because everybody else is just as great. It's just a matter of your taste. The thing I really hated about this. Ooh, hey, hey, boy. I know. <laughs> the thing I really hated about this episode, really, truly, this felt like it would have been the plot of a Star Trek The Next Generation movie that I hated. Mm. This would have just <laughs> been the plot of of star trek the next generation five insurrection two and i would have just been like wait why is there a false flag operation by the klingons mm -hmm. and wait now riker's stealing the enterprise because picard's been arrested and only crusher can save him. i fucking stopped caring like but as a season premiere it works a lot like the lower decks episode where uh uh, well, I can't. My brain, um, Kevy, help me not. Boimler, Mariner, Mariner, Mariner. I'm like, I'm like, candy. you or me, Handy. Um, <laughs> Mariner, uh, goes to save her mama. Mm. It, it's got oh, the season three premiere, yeah, it's yes. got perfect yeah. balance yeah. with that, yes. But you know, big takeaway B, plus just really hated that it felt like we've seen it before. What did you guys think? I think he really nailed uh, something that I c couldn't really kind of coalesce into my thoughts about what was not like perfect about it. Um, mm -hmm. One of the big uh, flagships of that kind of storyline and like storytelling that I didn't love was, and this is something Kevo and I talked about uh, the random Kung Fu steroids in the eye storyline. Uh, uh, just like, um, <laughs> When it was in the still of the noche on happy endings, it was hysterical. Yes. And the space thing is, is weird. I looked it up because when weird stuff like that happens, I'm like, all right, maybe that's a reference to some canon. Like yeah. there's a there's a person whose body on lower decks can dissect into its parts and they can float around. That's canon from the animated series. Right. Weird stuff is sometimes from something. Right. It's not. Yep. And I, Kevo, I did the exact same thing because I have not seen all of Lower, uh, all of uh, Strange New Worlds. Um, is it not similar yeah. to the drug that Rafi takes in Picard? It's not specifically. It's nope. not any sort of like there that if that is some sort of specific type of drug that we are supposed to make a connection with, that is there has no not been reported. Yeah. No. Um, that's okay. yeah. So. That was really weird, and, like, that they... Everybody seems to be vaguely in love with Nurse Chapel, but uh, not in any way where that's going to be a thing. Like, I actually uh, really thought that she and Spock were in a relationship. They, uh, I mean, canonically, there's stuff. Right. But which I only I recently that, learned. I know yeah, that Spock it's... has a fiance and, uh, you know, and that's and complicated that they are having this like, uh, I mean, it turns out it's a lot more uh, EMS and Kess than it is um, or EMH, not EMS, uh, the, the um, 
from Voyager. Mm -hmm. Their their relationship is a lot more of that. But for a second, I was like, oh, are they? Do they have a thing? Especially when like she's got her arm around him and they're gonna go out the airlock together. And it was I all was like, hey, please don't kiss. Such Grey's Anatomy. That was when I was like, this is Grey's Anatomy. Uh, but then that. also just like that there were Kung Fu steroids in the mix was bonker stonks. But that um, means the people you're saying are the most Grey's Anatomy are the medical staff too. 100%. <laughs> you can't, can't seem to escape it. Uh, it would have been more ridiculous if they started playing an Epcot-esque version of Ebony and Ivory as they floated through space. And I guess I just wish I could have probably eaten that scene a lot more had somebody in the transporter room been like, God, our lives are ridiculous. Because <laughs> uh, this show yes. doesn't seem so scared of doing that. Uh, no, I agree. And, and so to have such a like high-octane, melodramatic, ill-advised series of events and moments and not have anybody be like, life's weird just felt like come on guys like we don't need to we don't need to take this all so seriously and especially knowing that they're about to interface with like the least serious corner of star trek that's ever been created <laughs> i just feel like maybe let's get it in the mix early that like no matter how violent and horrible life gets we all can have a chuckle here and there let's all still laugh at ourselves because yeah. i really agree and there's that it's it's specifically the you don't die you don't <laughs> die and i was saying to you it's the phrasing in specific because you put it as you don't die on me and i was like no because he didn't say it a normal yep. way like you don't die on me you it felt like he was die. saying canonically this is not where your character dies Lisa you are about to turn this off mid-episode i am telling you it's Lisa Rinna in her, uh, her husband's career. You do not you die. Die. And so that was just really. I know he's. I know that he's a Vulcan, but he can talk like people, you know. And exactly like you said, uh, where was Transporter Chief Kyle to have some sort of sassy comment for this yeah. episode? Yeah. Like exactly, there just needed to be some kind of. To help deflate. All right, so I'm B plus, and what are you guys doing? I think you're right at about a B plus. Kevo. Yeah, I I really agree. Uh, a lot of the stuff you guys were saying about this episode, uh, just something I really noticed about this episode too, and like you were pointing out, where it wasn't about the Pike of the show, it instead was about the crew, and it was both like hyper dramatic and yet not the highest of stakes. Uh, it really reminded me of classic sci-fi television. It reminded me of the second season premiere of Farscape that had been intended, where instead of picking up on the cliffhanger ending that there had been, there was a gap episode where we catch up with these other characters or going to the ones that had the bigger cliffhanger. And it just almost makes me smile to think that sci-fi writers are still do playing their same hijinks Ugh. and still insist on telling their stories in their weird ways where they're like nope we're not gonna tell you who he's going to get help from una from you gotta wait and i love when people used to be like do you think they hadn't decided yet <sighs> like yes. do you think they don't know and so they're like because they really think 
they start filming the next episode the day after that episode aired. And the actors that, make up all the lines. Um, yeah. So, okay, I think we all feel pretty positive on this episode. I know adding this to the TV board, uh, something we've talked about a lot is we're organizing the show a little bit more so it's easier to follow. We're going to have calendar up so you're going to be able to follow along. But we Star Trek uh, Strange New Worlds to like TV rotations. So if like what we're doing with the this out, uh, the Star Trek from the Saturday Big Show. Hopefully, we'll unless we get a real event. I do want to say like an actual serious topic for um, just like one second. Something that winds up happening a lot with Star Trek is the marginalized quality of a lot of the fandom. Me as a kid, I mean, I I was so lonely and I really felt like Star Trek made me feel less lonely. And to be part of a fandom that takes its celebrities so religiously seriously that this episode of Enterprise, Enterprise me. of the Enterprise, all, worth, all worthless, Strange New World, every sweet thing I just said worthless um, on Strange New Worlds, this Enterprise of Strange New Worlds uh, was dedicated to Nichelle Nichols is uh, just really a part of why this fandom yeah. is so powerful. Uh, whether it's Nichelle Nichols or it was when they really did a beautiful tribute to Leonard Nimoy, um, Anton Yelchin, or the very fake tribute we're all going to have to do to William Shatner in a couple of months. I'm really thrilled that this is a fandom that honors its losses because I come from comics and everybody cares for a month and then they really don't care anymore. And frankly, we lost Nichelle Nichols so long ago. It was hard to believe that this was the thing dedicated to her. Yes. And that's actually nice. It's nice that we remembered that we lost a legend instead of moving on to the next legend. So anyway, um, really tragic loss, uh, but very grateful for the representation. And the NOA was at all of my snark. So, uh, commercial, like, subscribe, commercial. Uh, I'm actually uh, so thrilled to be talking Lower Decks next, so you don't want to miss that. It's going to be a lot of fun, and you're going to hear how often I say Lower Decks. Very often. Very often. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to X's First Show. Uh, that clip in the middle of our commercial break there is from our Super Mario Brothers episode, where we covered the Super Mario Brothers film. Uh, we talked about a lot of the games. We played one of our uh, favorite games, Bracketeering, where we went over all of the different Super Mario power-ups. And uh, I don't remember how that ended and what power-up won. It was I probably justified, though. Yeah, it was the Snooki. Uh, that makes sense. And like I said, probably justified, but it's always fun to see how that battle uh, commences. And uh, But now um, we're uh, back. What? I just realized I really want to get a tattoo of a flat symbol with a tanuki leaf instead of the, the base of the, the, the flat symbol. I love that. Um, I, I have no idea why a flat symbol, because sharp symbols are ugly. Anyway, um, guys, actually, it's kind of on topic, okay? 
It's not. I just want to say it on air. I discovered an entire world of musical notation that I didn't know existed. Like there's like kind of like 10 or so basic jazz notations that like everybody that jazz fakes knows. There's a, a deeper, 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 deeper lore. And one of the things that I love about when you think you know everything about something and like, you know, me today learning about the depth of jazz chords that I didn't understand. Uh, actually for this that's that's actually why i learned it and that's how it's kind of on topic uh some of the notation i was using used terminology i probably hadn't seen since like um like i played in jazz bands and like you know had a fake book everything that was put in front of me and uh that's something that i think is what makes for a really good twisted animated series twisted in a good way um and lower decks plays by a fake book in order to play one of these games, you really need to have a commitment to the quality of canosity, right? You need to care that it feels accurate. The thing that made me so angry growing up when comics or TV shows would get dates wrong. Look it up. It's on a piece of goddamn paper. Look it up. Look it up. Okay? Yeah. Look it up. But when you get the spirit of something wrong that's tougher i come from musicals right and you know i think about like three really great marks in rent and i'm gonna use like three big ones and i'll use one who i can draw a direct line here right no um, yeah i know right but you know the for those of you who don't know uh there's a number of performers from the musical Rent who have been in Star Trek and specifically Disco boasts Wilson Cruz from the touring cast of Rent who played Angel, but more notably Anthony Rapp, who uh, is the original Mark in both the New York Theater Workshop production and the Broadway production as well as the off-Broadway production a few months earlier. Uh, he then did the 10th anniversary tour guys, just a, a legend and really was close personal friends with Jonathan Larson, the writer. And he knew Jonathan well. So he, when he played Mark, who was in many ways based on Jonathan as well as, you know, based on the lead of La Boheme by Puccini, uh, you know, really definitely one of those merging of real life and theater and he would play it with an authenticity, a realness that was a whiny straight man from the village, even though, of course, Anthony Rapp himself is a gigantic homosexual who uh, every time you talk about Anthony Rapp, if you don't give like 10 seconds to give him his flowers because it was his bravery that took down Kevin Spacey and reignited the Me Too movement on the behalf of homosexuals. Uh, women, of course, had been fighting it, but every now and then gay people forget that women are people and uh, that we need to be allies to them and stand by them and tell them that we believe them and support them. So anyway, um, then I think about uh, oh God, Drew Lachey, who was Nick Lachey's younger buff brother, who would literally hulk off the Mark sweater, like would literally hulk it off. He played it excellently. He was a bit more of a dancer and a bit more of a comedian and a, and a very good singer, but he wasn't like as strong an actor. And then I think about Joey Fatone's performance. Mm. Guys, I saw him multiple times. He's just here to have a good time. He was excellent. He was really excellent. Like, shockingly. Like, mm. he, he could have been a Broadway actor if he had not been Joey Fatone and sync the hottest guy ever. Um... And I guess what I'm trying to say 
is if you want to play Mark, you either needed to know Jonathan Larson or be in a boy band. No, I'm trying to say that the spirit of a thing, who this person is, Mark, can be portrayed so many different ways by such vastly different people. And that's what Star Trek is. That's what every ship is and every captain is and every alien nemesis is. And Lower Decks, instead of necessarily taking on any one perspective, performs the beautiful job of a putting it together and acts as a review of the best of Star Trek and gives you an exceptional performance of some of the most familiar songs just in ways you've never heard them. And it really, it, it, thank you guys for letting me monologue for four minutes because it was really worth the feeling it gave me to be able to get it right. It felt like when Tori Amos tells me what I think. I think some of the garnish in there was maybe a little bit extra. I think you went to me two places that were unpredicted. But uh, overall, uh, I understand the spirit of what you're saying. Um, are you saying we don't need to stand with women, Kevy? Are you the problem? Yes, I'm the problem. That's exactly what I said. Uh, you know, <laughs> I love this. I loved what I found this picture. I feel like this in so many ways uh, to encapsulates some of the things you're saying in regards to this is this is the window for their bunks in Lower Decks where they live in a hallway and they're literally looking at the ass end of the ship. That's the butt of the ship. They're literally looking at the fumes. Vitendi is thrilled. And we'd be thrilled. And so many Starfleet people are thrilled. And so much of the spirit of Star Trek and uh, Starfleet and a Star Trek program is about that feeling exactly like you are saying that can be portrayed by an Anthony Rapp or by a Drew Lachey, um, or by that really hot dude who's in the final performance. Uh, he's really furry. Oh my God, he was so hot unnecessarily to play a mark. But, you know, uh, you can put so many different hats on this thing, but it's about what's uh, what the heart is. And uh, gosh, I also loved, was putting it together a reference for me in specific? Yes. I love you. Uh, it's my favorite Sondheim review. Guys, I just need you to see that this was the advertisement they used for Drew Lachey and Rent. Oh, yeah. 100%. Oh, if you wanted to send that to me and have me put it up on the board and also they, just send that to me in general. They, TK kind of looks like Drew Lachey. I see it. I really do. Yeah. It's the strong eyebrow. It's the oh, thank it's you, pronounced bridge. Yeah. It's mm. very sexy. Mm-hmm. And it, no it's complaints the, there. It's the fact that your pecs are like, you have Starfleet pecs you have that like rib cage yeah. that, like protrudes um but yeah so when we say that like you can portray things differently you know rent is a celebration of living not dying from aids at you know the rebirth of new york in the gritty streets of drug addicted the village and then here's drew lachey's giant chest conveying the same thing I mean, they really were just like. I remember this. How is this not queer bait? How is that not boy for for as low as fifty dollars rent? And that's actually site for rent was the official website. Like I forgot about that, but yeah, and you're absolutely right. 
this is boy for rent. See him yeah. for as low as fifty dollars. It, it would back. be like if they had posters for Daniel uh, Radcliffe and Equus being like, want to see Harry Potter's cock? I really <laughs> just want to like Photoshop on Johnny Rapid's face and yes. change nothing else. Nothing else would change. change nothing else. The Wolf yep. Legrand hears us and is starting to wonder who this Drew Lachey is and how young he is. So, um... It's too late, Wolfie. Too late. <laughs> He's, older He's than a granddad you. by that site standards. So, oh, yeah. All right, so back to back to Trek for a second. So, um, uh, lower decks. I've talked ad nauseum. Everybody else should. One of the things I always the look for in a show is, I the I always say the best example of this is Dollhouse, where they introduce a concept and a technology, and you know, it, it uh, minds can be written onto anybody, and you know, you get these people that are blank slates, and you can put whatever you want on them. So of course, we use them as prostitutes and sex bots. We get there in the first episode that is so obvious. Of course, that's what we're going to do. And a show that I don't like will be one that's like, oh, it's the sex bot murder mystery of the week. A show that will really impress me is a show that will tell me, yeah, a technology that bonkers. Here are all the insane things that happen with it. Here's a woman that knows she's going to die, so has her, her, her personality backed up. So when she dies, she can come back and solve her own murder. Uh, yep. You know, here's all these different insane things that you wouldn't initially think would be what you would do this technology. Here's those things being done. Star Trek has a similar thing where for all of the great things about Star Trek, it does repeat a lot of the like, of course, we're going to go to a planet. Of course, we're not going to be able to understand the aliens. Of course, we're going to have to think outside the box for how we're going to understand the aliens. I don't necessarily get tired of those stories because the concept is so broad. We can do a lot with them. What impresses me so much about Lower Decks is that they say... Of course, this really bonkers thing happens sometimes when we try and have contact with another species. Here's that story. Of course, this kind of mishap would happen with this type of technology. Here's that story. Of course, not everybody on a ship is command material. Here are yep. the story of the people that are not. Here are the story of the dirtbags. Dirtbags have to be on ships too. Uh, and dirt bags Someone is vacuuming the floors. That too, Someone. you know, so somebody who's a great man is also the janitor. Like, dirt bags yeah. get high up and, and amazing people are janitors. All of these things are true. Here are the stories. And Star Trek has needed that for such a long time. And I understand all of the reasons why it didn't happen before this and why it's not right now going to be, or up until now, going to be what we see in a live action flagship show. I love that they decided to go there with this show. And I love that they've yeah. taken it all the way to doing a crossover episode between a very melodramatic show like strange new worlds and this show that can have a bunch of fun. My favorite example of what you're referring to is always, there's an episode where the teaser is, Again, they live in a hallway, and so everyone is just hanging out in their bunk, and Captain Freeman starts floating through the hallways, glowing with energy, with a mystic mask on, proclaiming herself Manuki, and she is here to uh, I got return Manuki. her works, and she's, 
she's converting the ship into a Manuki temple. And they're just like, ah, oh, why do they always touch these artifacts? Somebody get her down. Because, yeah, and, and it is a little dramatic at times because of that. But also, this is a job for these people. And they're briefed on these weird things will often happen. And there's so much joy and comedy and new ways to look at these things that I really, really love from Lower Decks, where the stakes are frequently incredibly high and incredibly low at the same time. I asked you to rewatch the third season premiere because uh, I wanted you to be refreshed on it so I could bring up the fact that Nico and I accidentally watched that episode seventh right. of the entire series. I don't remember how we did that by accident. Something with our fire stick glitch. And that's just the seventh one we watched. And even though Mariner had not yet revealed that the captain was her mom, and even though her mom had been arrested at the, at the top of the episode and was like on trial as a war criminal, we just thought this was a regular of the week episode of Lower Decks. Because for as much as it, yeah, was an event premiere, every week has things in it that are this big and are these big moments where they go to Cisco's dad's uh, gumbo restaurant. restaurant. Yeah. And we see that Boimler grew up on a vineyard. And I'm pretty sure that's a one great of great sweaters. I'm not like from all, Hawaii. All of these things constantly throughout this whole show. You know, not every episode is necessarily this big. But most episodes have several things that you would get from an episode like this. And gosh, that is so rewarding to come to every episode of this show. And I have this theory that if I were given, if NBC were to come to me and offer me a Britannic-like deal and say we're going to, you know, not that NBC is still a network, but um, if it were... If the if they were continuing to broadcast and uh, project TV shows onto the back of a peacock, right. I would say, can I do a hyper dramatic version of Friends uh, called Friends? Question mark Because I think there's actually this overlap of where Friends gets so fucking ridiculous, and Breaking Bad and Succession get so ridiculous. That you actually just have this overlap of, can you imagine if Ross was so incredibly fucked up from losing his wife to another woman who was now going to raise his baby that he adopted a monkey? Really and, think about that. And made it a little French boy and projected that the monkey wasn't just in heat. The monkey was going through puberty and he had to walk the monkey through it. And like, if you actually put that they don't know what Chandler does, but they rely on his paycheck to survive. Like, there is this level of ridiculous that Friends hits that is actually the same kind of level of ridiculous as Skylar's having sex with that decently attractive man in his office and he dies. Like, it is that Skylar, the best character on that show. Um, so, except for Marie, who is like the best character of all time. Um, That's not funniest. <laughs> and that's what i think strange new worlds and lower decks actually offer it's this venn diagram of we reach like overwhelming absurdity so beautifully and tandem that 
I actually think that these are the two shows that I would cross over like that. I think this is a little bit better than when uh, Deep Space Nine had to fight some Tribbles. Yeah, because despite, obviously, based on just the medium alone, the cartoonish levels of reality that this show frequently descends to, they very, very, very much work hard to make it feel like, through this cartoon lens, it's still canon. And all of these events are still things that are happening while Jean-Luc is still uh, captaining and soon retiring from the Enterprise, uh, rather than it just being straight up ludicrous. And I love that. That there is no hammer space is really important. Like, yes. if, there, if they ever were to have hammer space, that would actually be an episode, like how they have found the pocket dimension. And we would get to see the effect. But, you know, there is a little bit of like, um, like I was just watching the, the rest of the season, like the one where Boimler's being hunted, like the way he physically, <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. But the way he and physically. everyone's like, oh, well, you consented. <laughs> exactly we have to respect their culture um the way he physically which that's just sorry the way he physically moves around the ship is you could not depict that uh in in real life freeze, yeah um like he literally jumps on walls in ways that like technically you cannot physically do if you can dial yourself in for that level of cartoonishness and understand that they get it you're you're absolutely right it is totally canon and then like from a writing standpoint and a dramatic standpoint back to that we have to respect their culture thing of course they would never on voyager or the next generation let somebody hunt somebody else on the ship they are so Star Trek's mission to, you know, foster relationships with other species and to follow the prime directive does at times put people in scenarios where you're like, this is insane. Like this really ought not to happen. So to play the other side of it, where you're seeing a cartoonish result of something that is taken very seriously in ways that seem absurd in the real life show is just a really brilliant way to flip the script. And I just think if they did it on Discovery, it would be like, well, you know, Discovery exists outside all time and space and they do whatever they want. And they are the show that always has the excuse. You know, this will never have actually happened. Nobody will ever know. This took place in a pocket dimension. It's not really special if it happens on lower on uh, Discovery. But if it happens on Strange New Worlds, there is a degree to which it continues to say yes lower decks is absurd but it is not a hammer space cartoon it is all part of star trek life and i think that's best exemplified by agamus or badgy who both yeah. kind of represent like real yeah uh a peanut hammer but you know but then for all of these there's amiglamo who is like um in so many ways, while very funny, and I, I do love casting, uh, and like I feel bad about saying this, I'm not exactly coming out like full Zootopian or anything, but like Mr. Peanut Butter is illogically attractive, and uh, I'm just so grateful for Mr. Uh, for Dr. Miglio uh, fixing that for me. Um, <clears throat> but you know, the thing that this show provides that I, I do think you guys are right. It's that it, it gives you that chance 
the emotional stakes are always as real. That's the thing. The emotional yeah. stakes are always 100. And, you know, one of the things that's so great is there is hammer space on this show. If I may, the hammer space is something the other shows can't afford, which is an unlimited amount of backstory because yeah. we can always cut away to it. Yeah. So the hammer space is that Shax knows Major Kira Norris. The hammer space is that everybody here served in the Dominion War. The hammer the, space is that stuff. The backstory of the episode that I was referring to, how Freeman is able to get out of her trial and is rescued as they reference Tuvok came in and helped. They reference yes. Bateson, who is the character played by Kelsey Grammer on Star Trek The Next Generation, who is like a, a, a TOS-era Starfleet captain pulled through time that we didn't ever really touch back on again. But here we can. There was an ensign in season two or three of TNG who was supposed to be a more major character, and it just never worked out, only in two episodes. And they brought her in as an admiral because they have the ability so much more easily to do things like that in animation. There's this article going around that um, I can't help but agree with. And it it actually affects my understanding of like my life. Right. Uh, I, I recently and that's why I've been living in this hat. I went to the Jack Daniels factory and found out that it takes seriously like 500 people, like 400 of whom live in this one little town to make every bottle of whiskey. And it got me thinking about how things are made. And I started thinking about how many clocks made in the history of time must have just been wasted because you made it with one wrong gear work. So it doesn't run at 60 seconds. So it's wasted. And it's sort of like in that vein that I've really been trying to think about like how things come together to paint this picture, to like to make this show per, per se. Right. And I think that one of the operating principles that Lower Decks gets to use is that the show exists to facilitate other stories. Other Star Treks are responsible for crafting narratives, but Lower Decks, as a result of its unique position, only exists to respond to narratives. So with that in mind, when I think about this show's uh, viability, the show as a response, its viability is longer and greater than any Star Trek on air because other Star Treks are limited by their physical capacity to interact with the world around them. As such, after seven years, every Star Trek looks dated with the exception of Disco, which did a time jump. Now, that time jump involved total surrender of physicality such that disco would have a hell of a time pulling off the same feat again it's a it's a one and done you know yeah and yeah. lower decks has an insurmountable task of retaining a quality of retro futurism that was already static and stale by the point at which its referencing became popular and the thing that Lower Decks gives me that no other Star Trek show ever can, and this is why I opened the episode an hour and a half ago with this is my number one, is that Lower Decks is able to actively give me moments in a mm. universe that is gone. No Star Trek show on TV 
can provide for me, what animation can allow as a surrender. And subsequently, by not taking itself too seriously, you know, one of the fundamental arguments of everybody's discussion point, we're able to have an animated show that watches effortlessly, that watches comfortably. If this tried to get real serial, I would need it to be one episode a season. I would love a really heavy manga anime kind of episode each year that's like hyper dramatic, but I don't know. I just really feel like this show does something really special, and I'm looking forward to seeing uh, in a show, in a franchise, that has featured a number of beautiful marriages over the years, like uh, Gene Roddenberry and Marjorie Barrett, who have played every single character in the entire franchise. Uh, I am really looking forward to Jerry O'Connell and Rebecca Romaine playing Number One and Ransom uh, in the same show. They're married, and they're both first mates, and that's pretty cool. Uh, Shax is also the hottest thing to ever wear a Starfleet outfit ever. He's a hyper buff Bajoran who just wants to cry about his feelings. That's the dream. I, I go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> You're both so polite to each other. I don't I, I believe that... we've. <laughs> I just want to say this one thing real quick. Go go. I please. don't believe we've been given any indication that Jerry O'Connell is going to be in the crossover. He can't be. Uh, I, I bet. I uh, hope he is. I'll I bet don't see she'll why he be can't animated. Be. I bet she I will actually, be animated. I think he looks enough like Jack that he could be. I think that he's large and square jawed and white and muscular. I Jack's Jack's is like thirty. I get that, and I'm not saying an extended appearance. I will be a little disappointed if we don't even get a glimpse of Jack in live action, because I think they could pull that off. I think that he, much like his wife, uh, has looked like he is 30 to 40 years old for the last 30 years. Yeah, he basically and, went like uh, Goonies, Scream 2, and then yes. stayed. And I, I, I definitely see the wrinkles too. I'm not saying that we need... I, I cannot be an extended sequence. Here's the thing. I don't think Jack Wade is young enough to necessarily be playing Boimler in live action either. Because I think Boimler is supposed to be like 22, 23. Jack Quaid, not so much. Um, and the thing is, everyone looks old and young on Star mm -hmm. Trek at the same time. Which is how we're able to say, yeah, sure, Beverly Crusher had a baby. Why not? Uh, so that's where I'm like, I don't really care that he doesn't look right. Sure. I, I Because that's his wife, and he could mm -hmm. just show up to work that day. That's why I'm like, it would be so cool. I don't expect anyone else. We're not going to see Tana. We're not going to see <laughs> a giant cat woman. But, you know, Ransom would be cool. It'll be interesting to see. Um, I think Ransom would be cool. I mean, I really am curious to see how Strange New Worlds characters are depicted in animation. Like, I, I am yes. really equally excited about that. So uh, it'll be interesting to see. The thing I was going to say earlier was that after all of these years, Lower Decks also serves as a kind of pressure valve for mm. the buildup of concerns about the absurdities of star trek that right. you know 
being a franchise that has spanned so much time, uh, which very few other franchises get to do, and a lot of the other ones that get to do are film based, and you know the, one point. of the other big ones is Star uh, Star Wars, which it's it's space magic, so it does not matter what what's absurd in Star Trek. It's it, it is the right the absurd the Force, yeah. Uh, with Star Trek, I think, you know, we're saying if this is ever a future, we could really imagine even an approximation of it. We do need something that addresses that real life is gross and messy and stupid and clunky. And some people are garbage and some people are great and they don't always wind up in the places that garbage people and great people are supposed to go. And it just does that job really well of saying like, okay, here's a season of specifically what that looks like. So now you can go enjoy every single other piece of Star Trek, knowing that nobody is trying to convince you that it is perfect all the time. And not only that, we're here to show you where it's not. And celebrate it. Yeah. Like, you know, the the nature of, oh, my God. Oh, my God. His clone. I can't. Oh, my God. William. Clone William, who's taken in by Riker as a child. Why wouldn't he be? Like a foundling. Why wouldn't he be? Because Riker understands. Uh, and it's just the, the, the cartoon elasticity <laughs> that the, the things that it allows. That we got to see Karen Arise. And yeah. that we got to see Quark. And you can hear it in their voices that they've aged and uh, time is a line and you can only do so much at so much you know one of the things that bugs me so much about people being upset that these Star Wars sequels weren't just the books that had been written is because those books were about like 25 to 30 year olds and Carrie Fisher Harrison Ford and Mark Hamill couldn't perform those things in live action. It's ludicrous to even ask, let alone expect. And you can have Kira and Quark show up just a couple of years after DS9 ended, and it looks the same. And you can have a little bit of Riker's time on Titan with Deanna. They can both easily show up, which would be so much harder in live action to get both actors, let alone just one, and, you know, one of the things I think I am most curious about for this crossover that we're going to be getting is how it will feed back into Lower Decks because of that cartoon elasticity, where they are able to do so many more things. I don't know. Are they going to spend some amount of time back in TOS era? Are they going to bounce around time? Because something that I would love is not to be too selfish. I would love if they could meet the disco crew bounce back in time and forward in time. Why not? You can do something like that on something like lower decks. Uh, you can start showing a different lower decks crew from a different era. Maybe Boimler, when they go back in time, will meet a Boimler ancestor. And that can be a window to do a lower deck stories back in TOS. Who knows? There's, so many cool things you can do by it uh, being this format and by being less stringently serialized while still taking the serialization of the universe seriously. And I love that. I loved Mike Mahan's work on Solar Opposites. It was one of my favorite shows. 
and now I don't ever need to watch it again. No offense to it. Uh, and and because I want something about like Solar Opposites about something that I love, you know? Yeah. And, you know, that's I can only hope that everything gets a uh, lower decks love song the way, uh, you know, this was a love song for all of Star Trek. And, you know, there's no way we could ever say this is enough Star Trek coverage. We have so much more to talk about. And I am super excited to continue covering into... Um, I'm, <clears throat> I'm, continu- I'm so excited to continue covering uh, Star Trek and uh, to see where it's going from here. Uh, Kevo, what's on the upcoming board? Oh, let's see. Let's go to our onstage board. Well, uh, first we've got our regular shows that we are going to be finishing up our coverage of uh end of the month i want to get to i want to do all of our silo coverage concentrated i want to yeah i think next week is the finale so it's coming up uh i i i love me some oddly period dramas uh for sure we've got our uh reality competitions so we have our rupaul's drag race we had our first project runway elimination already yeah double episode drop Already really exciting season, so we're super stoked to bring you that coverage. We're gonna Rami bring looks you some... impossibly good. Oh, we're gonna bring you some food truck, which is just always a good time, no matter what, because it's just fun to see food and it's fun to see people crash these trucks. There will be a crash. <laughs> Tyler I just enjoys promise. eating so much. It's so he sexy really does. Uh, and torturing these people over the phone. He really mm. loves it. Uh, and then we've got our coming soon board with a whole bunch of host of projects coming up over the next year that we're excited to cover. Uh, I actually want to comment two things about this board. One thing it's not on the board and one thing that is on the board. Uh, the Haunted Mansion coverage, everyone's given me the, the the little bit of wiggle room here. We're not actually looking at this Haunted Mansion movie when we look at Haunted Mansion. And uh, no, 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 no. Oh. We're looking at Every iteration of story ever attached to any iteration of the Haunted Mansion. That means we're looking at 11. But so we're not not. Uh, just it's one of 11. Okay, just making sure. Because it sounded like you were saying we're we're covering everything but this movie. No, no, no. It's, so it's I was just... like... It's the total history of all the ghosts. We're gonna look yeah. at the manor. We're gonna look at. We're gonna look at the the plantation in California. I gotta add an S. Haunted mansions. Yes, uh, the whole neighborhood of haunted mansions. Every, Every mansion that has ever been haunted, we will be speaking about. Well, because little we'll known, make up the little neighborhood. Little known fact: there are no two Disney theme parks with the same area containing the haunted mansion it is in a different land in every single disney so it's in a fantasy land it's in liberty square it's in uh new orleans square it's in frontier land it's in adventure land it's somewhere different every single land i'm gonna make us a promo image that's uh the oc opening yes, image McMansion. but instead of mcmansions it's all haunted mansions 
Absolutely. We're looking at we're looking at a whole neighborhood. Uh, the other thing that I'm really excited about is we've been putting it off forever, and it looks like it's gonna it's going pretty well. We we brought back comic coverage this past week. Uh, super grateful that everybody uh, came and been uh, was a part of that or tuned in. It was really great to talk about the state of comics. And uh, in accordance, we're going to be taking a look at some of the promised Disney Afternoon comics from a few weeks ago, as well as finally kicking off Vertigo by the years. And I was really excited because I spent a good part of like the day organizing the document. And what it taught me is um, we're definitely not doing it by the year. That's for fucking sure, because there's like periods of like four years even at what you would think is the heyday of Vertigo, where four years of books is still not as many books as they published in 1993. So it's going to be, there's no way to do it by the year. You got to do it by the years and then by the month. It's stuff like that vexes me, but it's just how time works sometimes. By the ball of wax. <sighs> anyway. All right. Uh, well, think here's I'm... some Gosling abs for you. There you go. <sighs> well, go back to that big board for a sec. I just want to celebrate that big board you made. Uh, thing I'm most excited to talk about on this big board. Uh, I told Kevo the secret ending to the post credit scene at, uh, at Rise of the Beasts. And I, uh, yeah. And I told him about it, and we were grocery shopping, and he had like a visceral reaction. I think it's funny. I think it's fine funny. I don't need it, but it was really funny. Uh, the thing I'm most excited to cover on this board is probably, uh, yeah, I think I'm, I'm most in for Strange New Worlds for the season. That's that's where my heart probably is the most on this board. Maybe Haunted Mansion because like, you know, you don't have uh, blueprint schematics of the Haunted Mansion graveyard scene without having an attachment to it. So, but uh, what do you guys think? What are you most excited to cover? And then uh, say where we can find you. Kevo. Oh, I'm going first. No, you're not. TK, uh, you say, I just wanted to say your name because it sounded good. TK, no, where you. can everybody find you? No, what do you want to watch? I, I, I'm and, on this. I'll do both. <laughs> thank God, man. Uh, so you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at xnatexgrayx. And I think right now, uh, I'm reaching far into the future, and it's the Marvels. Amen. That trailer just gets okay. me every time. We just found out that uh, show favorite Alyssa Wong will be writing the new Captain Marvel with art by Jan Basil Dua after the spectacular issue 50 that we just saw from Kelly Thompson. And this upcoming classic Captain of her own coming in to write. It's just very exciting. Um, so yeah, I mean, the, the Marvels, I think really is where my heart is at for, for the future of Marvel and I can't wait for it. But in the meantime, I'm going to love all these other things. And where can we find you? I said that already. I said that first. Oh, fuck. All right. Uh, Kevo, you and you. Me and me and me. Um, well, I'm, I'm loving strange new worlds, but now we're in it. So I'm more thinking about, you know. Things that are in the future, much like Teak. I'm also excited about Marvels, but um, I think a little sooner. I'm excited for the Barbie movie. A lot of really cool yep. things that we're seeing about that. Uh, I'm excited for Lower Decks, uh, like I've been saying earlier, and whatever direction this new season might take. And I'm very intrigued with uh, Ahsoka. Oh, yes. Uh, 
we didn't watch Rebels, and I don't know if we plan on watching Rebels before Ahsoka. There's there's a lot of these cartoon shows, and we have only so much time, so I'm not sure. Uh, but that's they design these things that you don't have to. So I'm interested to see then what that will look like and how that will all play out. Uh, we love what we've seen of the character, and we're liking a lot of the Star Wars stuff right now. So, yeah. That'll be cool. All right. Uh, Nico, what about uh, where can everybody find you? You guys can find me all over this amazing network. And you can find me at Nico Action. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. And as always, you can find me. Uh, no, I guess that's everything. Cool. You can find me those places. Neat. And uh, oh, yeah, it's Pride Month. So let's do it real quick. Uh, yeah. You can, of course, check out my work in Young Men in Love, which won a GLAAD award. So proud, uh, super grateful to Joe Glass and Matt Miner for making that possible. I also won a gaming award, super grateful when it comes from within the community. Always the best. And uh, yeah, so until next time, keep those, uh, keep those worlds strange. Keep them new. Do voyaging things. Yeah. Your gens. Gen your necks or um, toss like that. TOS. Get hit with the terms of service. Stay strange. Stay new. Take on the world. And uh, tomorrow we're going to see you where you will hear me scream about some reality stuff that is uh, real intense. And I uh, can't wait for that. But until then, uh, yeah, no, stay strong, stay smart, and we'll see you. Bye.